Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather to hear your word. Uh, We understand that by your word, you created everything from nothing. And so we understand that a word from you today could change everything in our lives. We pray that we would have ears to hear, uh, that your spirit would um, lead us into all knowledge and learning. Your word tells us that we have the mind of Christ if we are in Christ. And so we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that uh, reminds us of all truth and that is uh, you are our teacher and our guide and our counselor. And it's my prayer that you would minister to us today by your word and that we would not only hear your word uh, as doers, as hearers only, but that we would also be doers of your word as well. Use your word today to challenge us and to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bible there with you, uh, I would invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and this will be the launching point uh, for our message on laziness and work and procrastination. I've been putting off this sermon all summer. <laughs> Thank you. I wrote that in I wrote that in May on the and I thought that'll be funny maybe one day, but thank you for laughing at that. Um, this is a sermon on uh, procrastination and laziness and, uh, and the value of diligence and diligence as a wise worker. Uh, this week I heard a quote uh, by a guy named Epictetus. I think he was a Stoic philosopher. I don't usually quote those guys or read those guys very often. But he said something like this, If you think you already know something, you will be unteachable forever in that area. The hardest people to teach are those who are experts in one area and have some idea that their expertise transfers to all areas. It's not a direct quote, but a a thought-provoking quote. The Epictetus um, asked that we be curious learners. Sometimes we feel like, I already know enough about this, that um, as an expert I should be teaching this. Um, And and the antidote to that sort of know-it-all idea is humility and curiosity. Humility to recognize that somebody else might have something to teach you about something uh, you think you already know enough about. Humility is the idea that you, somebody else can teach you something beneficial. And curiosity to remind yourself to keep asking questions, to always realize that there's more to know and to acknowledge that others have insights that can be beneficial to you. Now, I mention this because for the next couple of weeks, I'll be talking about work today, and, um, and then next week I'll be talking about uh, finances. And those are two areas where if someone has some expertise or knowledge, um, it, it tends to shut off their receptors when it comes to learning and benefiting. And so, like Epictetus reminds us, we should be teachable and humble in that approach. Uh, The Bible does have a lot to say about your work life. And so let's read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Sluggard, sloth, lazy, all these words are somewhat interchangeable here. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. 
Proverbs has a lot to say about work, but, but instead of just sort of taking this, uh, starting out with this small amount of material on work from Proverbs, uh, I thought it'd be helpful if we open up um, really sort of a broader picture and take a look at uh, maybe a, a doctrine of work, just briefly. Uh, the Bible does teach us that we were created with purpose that includes work. You might think that work was a result of the fall, but work is not a result of the fall of man. Uh, Mondays might be, or maybe the coworker who always leaves their food uh, out uh, or makes a mess, maybe those are results of the fall. But, but work, like every other part of creation, was designed to bring God glory, and work was, um, work was created before sin entered the world. Uh, work is a pre-fall idea. Uh, I'm quoting Art Rayner. He says, When everything was good, before there was sin, there was work. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. He provided humans the world in its raw form and said, Go to work. Use your talents and skills and do something with this. That quote from Art Rayner is helpful from his book, um, Find More Money. It's, uh, chapter 4 describes um, basically an understanding, a basic understanding, a primer about um, the, the purpose of work. But we see it clearly in Genesis 1, 26-31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, uh, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, this is the work part, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So one of the principles that we're talking about here from that passage in Genesis is that work was there before the fall. It's not a result of sin, not due to the fall. We weren't designed to lay around and enjoy creation. God gave Adam and Eve a wild, untamed frontier, an enormous, unexplored world full of danger, uh, full of adventure, full of raw materials, not finished products, and commanded us to fill it and to subdue it and to work it. And I think that this is a, a very beautiful thing about God in creation, um, that He didn't just give us a safe world with bumpers. You ever had to baby-proof your house and you put 
Uh, little bumpers all over the place so they don't bump their head. God didn't baby-proof anything, right? Uh, I'm sure that there were plenty of people who tried to grab uh, a snake or pet a lion or something, and, uh, and everyone else in their tribe early on in the creation of humanity learned not to do that, right? Don't follow that guy's example. Uh, it was just a raw world, an untamed world, an unexplored world, and, and the earth was good, but it was not complete, God created man and woman to, and designed us to work the earth, to subdue it, and to explore it, and to fill it, and to model his creative handiwork in mastering the earth with a huge variety and all these climates and experiences to discover. Uh, I was taught this um, by one of my closest friends. Uh, you know, you have those lifelong friends. And one of mine is a, a friend named Tony from my hometown. And Tony's dad um, was a hard worker, an immigrant from Ghana. Um, and, uh, and Tony and I became really good friends uh, at the end of our middle school years. Um, and, and the more time I would spend with him uh, and his family, um, the more I would learn. But, but on one particular occasion, uh, I was spending time at Tony's house, and I think we were about to go somewhere. And, um, and his dad was a manager at uh, a restaurant in the local mall. And, uh, and every time we would go to that mall, his dad was there. And he, was, uh, he would greet us and he would give us you know, chips and salsa and other things. And uh, just very nice. But one time when I was at Tony's house waiting for Tony and we were going to go do something, uh, I asked his dad, uh, you know, I was interested in business as a lost kid and interested in, in learning from him. And so I just asked him, you know, I see how hard you work and tell me about what restaurant life is like and being a manager and, and, and all that you do. And, and he launched into this passage of Genesis. And he just began like a little sermonette. And he, not a very uh, talkative man, but, but something lit on him when he heard this. And as a lost kid, I, I had never considered Genesis or Adam and Eve, or this particular passage that we were created to work. And I still remember in his accent from Ghana, he would say, God placed Adam in the garden to work the soil. So when he would talk about his work, he talked about it being to the glory of God in that way. Such an instrumental uh, man in, in, in my life. And I, I told Tony this week that, uh, that I would be um, honoring his dad in that way. And, uh, and I, I see that in, in Tony as well. Uh, Tony carries that same work ethic as his dad, as a dentist in, uh, in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. Uh, just a dear friend and uh, am, am grateful for his dad's um, lesson to me as a lost kid uh, about the model of work. But not only did God place Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and through creation to work it, um, something happened at the fall in Genesis chapter 3 when um, they took the fruit and they ate of it. Um, <clears throat> the, the work became cursed. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 17, to Adam God said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. <clears throat> Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So if you've ever thought, 
you know, I hate Mondays or uh, I can't stand, uh, you know, this work week or I hate my job. Now you have a theological understanding about uh, why work is difficult and why we struggle with work. It's because of the fall of man. The gospel tells us that sin destroys and causes death and separation from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. And with the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, we also find redemption and forgiveness and a reconciled life of relating to God as our Father. But it doesn't just stop short of redeeming your soul and forgiving your sins and making you right in your relationship with God. God doesn't just redeem some parts of your life. He redeems your entire life. Relationships marked by pain and conflict, those are now made new. And you can experience grace and forgiveness and patience, gentleness and kindness toward one another. Uh, Your minds are renewed. We heard that wonderful testimony from Nicole last week as she was being baptized that life before Christ was marked by confusion. But then in Christ, things become clear. The veil is lifted. She's able to see things. And that's true. Our minds are renewed in our thinking. We have greater understanding, greater knowledge, greater peace of mind and wisdom. Consciences can be cleansed from guilt and regret and misery. All those things are true about our redemption and our regeneration. But it's not just those things. Even your work life is renewed, and it's meant to point to the Redeemer. Your work life is meant to give God glory. Our work life now bears testimony of redemption. Uh, And I saw that in Tony's dad. His work life and his approach to his 9 to 5 was for the glory of God. He understood, because he had a theological understanding of his work life, that that God created him to go into the garden and to work it. And whatever his garden was, he did it for the glory of God. You see these principles for work as redeemed people all over the New Testament. I think I've provided for you a list there. Uh, Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, I had this verse scribbled on my uh, senior year high school football cleats. Uh, On my left cleat was Colossians 3.23, and on my right cleat was Philippians 4.13. That's how bad my hermeneutics was, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One day I dropped the ball, and my coach said, what does that verse say? And I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Loud and proud. He said, everything except catch a ball, largent, right? That's, that's a good coach who pointed out my bad hermeneutics that Jesus wasn't, Paul wasn't talking about Jesus gives me the strength to catch a ball even if I couldn't catch it. But Colossians 3.23 on the other cleat, however, applied to my football life. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This applies to your work life as well. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But then we get into these Thessalonians verses uh, that you have printed there, and I I won't necessarily read all of those passages, uh, except that they warn against idleness. And idleness came about because Paul had probably to the Thessalonians given more insight about the second coming of Christ. And what he found was that as he developed this uh, prophetic future coming of Christ in more detail, that every time he heard about the Thessalonians, there were those who stopped working, 
just to sit around and wait for Jesus' return. So much so that in the second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. That is, that they were not being busy with work and productivity. He said that they are not walking in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we weren't idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul was saying he worked really hard and he set him an example to work hard, holding those two realities in tension. Jesus is coming and he could come any day now, but until he comes, best is the servant whom he finds what? Working, being productive, laboring, not just in a spiritual field, but in the world as well. Verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You see how that became an inst, uh, a touchy situation in the early church? Guy quits his job, stops showing up for work, he's just waiting for Jesus to come back, and after a few days realizes how hungry he is, and how hungry his family is, and how hungry his wife is, how hungry his kids are, and so he goes to the next church member and says, hey, can you spare some food? We don't have any food, and, and we're waiting for Jesus' return, and this guy's working extra hard, and, and this guy's not working at all, and, and began to depend on everybody else. And so Paul had very severe words. If that person is not willing to work, that's a kind of an amen is how I'll take that uh, as an amen from that kid right over there. Um, if someone's not willing to work, let him not eat. We hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. One of my favorite verses in the NIV translates that as, um, let each one be diligent to mind their own business, to um, work with their hands, um, and I can't remember the rest of it, but the, that mind your own business and work with your hands and provide for those uh, is a, a godly example that Paul gives there. 1 Timothy 5.8 uh, also is a very hard word. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Listen, there are severe words for those who are lazy in the church. And so to combat that, I'd like to spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about principles for work and diligence and contrast that with laziness. So let's get back into Proverbs now that we've had an overview of what the Bible says about work. Let me just start with these principles, and I think I've listed them there for you. This is where this message is going, so you can follow along. The Bible teaches that we were created with purpose, which includes work. It's on page one there. The diligent and wise worker understands that God has placed us in the garden to work the earth with purpose. Work, like every other part of creation, was designed to bring God glory. We've already covered that. Work is a pre-fall idea. Uh, laziness is a character quality that should be repented of, corrected, and replaced with diligence. 
Laziness is a character quality that should be repented of, corrected, and replaced with diligence. And then finally, the last principle that we'll cover this morning is that Jesus redeems our work lives and intends for us to labor as though we were working for and serving him. So let's look at some Proverbs on diligence. We've already looked at Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Uh, Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. In Proverbs 12, 11, Solomon writes, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I think... uh, The NIV might translate that as chasing fantasies is stupid. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who chases worthless fantasies is stupid, I think is how that passage is translated. So from these few verses here, we see that diligent, wise workers are active. I love how Proverbs puts the diligent worker because it doesn't distinguish between those who have skill necessarily or to those who have more or less intelligence. It doesn't divide along those lines. It really just praises the value of diligence. Someone who shows up, clocks in, and stays busy without being idle, keeping them out of trouble. I think a lot of people get into trouble when they're not productive, when they're not being busy. Diligent and wise workers are active and self-sufficient. They provide for themselves and for those in their care. That word used here uh, in that first passage, Proverbs 6, they prepare and gather. They prepare and gather. I learned the value of hard work uh, from somewhat of a um, a family with a a limited budget, for sure, and um, a very, uh, you know, kind of materialistic kid in the 80s. I, I loved Michael Jordan, and, uh, and I loved Air Jordans. And my mom was like, there's no way I'm about to buy you some $200 shoes that you're going to like ruin. And so if I wanted Jordans, I had to work. And so I printed a f- stupid flyer when I was in fifth grade that said, um, all around handyman. And I, picking up trash, and, and I passed them all around my neighborhood, and nobody called me at all. Undeterred, uh, I went out and got a paper route as a sixth grader. And um, anybody ever had a paper route back in the days? I had to wake up at five in the morning when that guy dropped the big stack of paper uh, off in my driveway, and I had to fold them and stuff them in a big thing that was way too heavy and ride with my knees going out, you know, down the road of throwing papers on this long route. And uh, that was a hard year. Uh, and you're not going to believe this. After that, I took a job, and this sounds so sketchy. Like, I'm not kidding, though. A guy in a white van would pick up me and five other sixth and seventh graders, and would take us to far-off towns and neighborhoods and just drop us off, and we would go door to door to door just selling newspaper subscriptions. I don't even, yeah, right, DJ? I don't even know that guy's name. He could have been anybody, but it was literally a white van, and I literally just got in and started, and I did that not just once or twice, but for like two years. Um, those kinds of things, though, taught me that, that, that if, I, if I was active and busy, that I would enjoy the things that I was searching for, even as a lost kid. 
Um, and that reminds me that activity is better than idleness. If that's true, if you're not in Christ, it is absolutely true in Christ. A worldly proverb says a rolling stone gathers no moss. That's right. Someone who is busy, who is active, doesn't have time for things to grow on them. There is a value for self-starters in, in Proverbs. Let's move to the next one. Proverbs 21.5. Proverbs 21.5. You shouldn't have to turn so much. I think they're all in your guide there. But Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now this is a nuance on the hard worker, right? It's not just being diligent, but it's, it's diligence with patience. Another place in Proverbs, next week we'll cover this in the money topic, is that uh, wealth quickly gained is cursed. That there is a value in gathering little by little by little. And Proverbs 21.5 highlights that. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So diligent and wise workers are thoughtful planners creative and industrious. And I love that uh, Proverbs doesn't just limit itself to men in these traditional gender roles, but it includes women. Uh, in Proverbs 31, this idea of a diligent, wise worker who is creative and industrious. I know ladies hate this sometimes, right? You look at this Proverbs 31 woman in verse 13, she seeks wool and flax. She is works with willing hands. She's like a ship of the merchant bringing her food from afar. She rises up while it's still night and provides food for her households and portions for her maidens. She considers the field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now remember from last year when we started this Proverbs series, it was on the heels of Ruth and we recognized that Proverbs 31 um, is written about this ideal woman, but just to demystify it, it's a Hebrew poem, uh, an acrost not an acrostic, but it's, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's every letter of the Hebrew alphabet starts another sentence. So this isn't a real woman with real standards for all of us women, all you women to try to live up to, right? Because the guy's just searching for what starts with noon, right? What starts with Lamech and Sheen and Sheen and Sade and Resh and Kof. And he's looking for things that fit the alphabet, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's not some unattainable thing, but it is a poem. So keep that in mind so that you don't hate um, Proverbs 31. But it does help us see 
the creativity, the thoughtfulness, and the industriousness, uh, and the value of work in Proverbs. I remember going to college in a small town in Arkansas, and I just moved in, and I had very little money, very little money, less than $10. For me, that's very little, right? Even as an 18-year-old. And so that first weekend, after a couple of meals before the uh, student center opened, if I wanted to eat, I had to find some money. And so I, I went door to door in August in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and I just knocked on every door and said, I'm a college student who's moved in and I, uh, I'm looking for odd jobs, anything I can do just to gain some spending money. And I probably did that for two or three weekends in a row, and it connected me to a number of people who not only appreciated the work ethic and the ability just to go and try to uh, provide like that, um, it, it opened some doors to job opportunities and other things. I remember another year coming in from the summer uh, and, and I needed, I don't know, $1,000 or $2,000 to help knock off some of my tuition and housing costs. And a friend over the summer that I'd met had a, a business where they printed hats. And so I made a design of our college, of our hats, and I, I fronted him the money for 600 of them and sold them for you know, two times the amount that I spent on them and, and provided for my entire sophomore uh, semester just in that way. I think Proverbs honors that sort of hardworking, self-starting, initiative-taking, diligent effort. And we see it clearest in Proverbs 31. Let's look at uh, one more about diligence. Proverbs 24, 27. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. This points to the fact that diligent and wise workers prioritize and prepare it speaks to the wisdom in somehow achieving an income stream before buying or building a home. In other words, go to work first and then seek living situations that are appropriate to your age and stage and income. I remember being, feeling so criticized uh, in my 20s. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, which means, um, you know, I was born between... 70 and 90 or whatever that means. I don't know the, all those generations. But, but people would always say when I was in my 20s, all you Gen Xers, you guys all want the same size house and the same vacations and all the same materialistic stuff that the boomers and the builders and the, your parents and grandparents that they all took decades to acquire. And I remember feeling so guilty about that, but also seeing the wisdom from their statements in that it's not wise to overextend your living situation and then have to overwork yourself to live up to that living situation. Much better to overwork yourself in a healthy way. I'm not saying overwork yourself in an unhealthy way, but work in such a way and allow your living expenses to be lower than what you make. I know that sounds crazy. We'll get into a little bit more of that next week when we talk about finances and not living beyond your means. But it's wise not to overextend your living situation and then have to overwork yourself to, to uh, fulfill those obligations. 
Better to downsize your living situation and upgrade your earning ability. Take extra courses. Get extra certifications. Hustle a little bit on the side to gain a skill. There are so many skilled people in our congregation that if you were to take a few of them and say, would you teach me how to do this skill uh, in a weekend or two and maybe we can barter for work or something. But, but there are enough men and women in this church who would teach you something that can be a skill that you can make extra income for. Do those things to prepare your work outside, figuratively speaking. Um, finally, I'll put, put this in because so many of these were convicting to me, but the next diligent wise worker example that we have is from Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. Proverbs 28, 19 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. It's almost a mirror of Proverbs 12, 11, that same chasing fantasies passage. But it really lends to this, that diligent, wise workers don't get distracted and don't procrastinate. I grieve for Cherie and for Chris and Becca sometimes because this is me. I'll, I mean, I, if I see a squirrel, I'll, I, I just start a project and it's exciting and I'll get into it and then it'll just fizzle off. I don't know where it goes or what happens. I think there's another proverb in here that describes someone who goes through all the trouble to, to, to kill uh, an animal and, to, and then to allow that animal to go to waste. They don't even roast their game, meaning they start well, but they don't finish well. Diligent, wise workers, according to Proverbs, see things through to completion. They start a project and they finish a project, right? I wish I could be that way in my own house. Uh, um, this is part of my sanctification. I think the Lord is working with me on that. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to a couple of lessons that we can learn from laziness. Just a couple of proverbs on laziness and we'll be done. Like I said before, laziness is a character quality that as parents you should point it out, help your kids understand it, um, and correct it. As older adults, it should be something that we repent of and that we correct and that uh, we attempt to replace with diligence. Um, Proverbs 20 verse 4 describes a type of laziness. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He seeks at harvest and has nothing. Danny Aiken points out that this type of laziness desires their needs to be met without having to work or contribute. You've seen this kind of laziness, a person who wants to have their needs met, but they don't want to contribute. We read stories like this to our children, the, the little hen lady that goes around to bake a cake or something, and she wants a little something from everybody, but right, nobody gives, am I saying this right? Nobody gives her the egg, and nobody gives her the, and she's trying to get everybody's help, and then when she bakes this cake or bread, I, I, should, I shouldn't just stick to my notes, I shouldn't ad lib here. But by the end of it, she's got this thing and everybody wants some, but they didn't contribute anything to it. And I'm not talking about some sort of socialism here. I'm just simply pointing to the fact that laziness from Proverbs 24, it's a person who desires their needs to be met without having to work or contribute in any way. And that's called sloth. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Let's read that together. That's a good sloth passage. 
Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Coincidentally, those are the two words described in Genesis 3 with the fall of man and the curse of work. That this is spiritually cursed as a result of the fall. He says, the stone wall was broken down, and then I looked and considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This passage, as well as Proverbs twenty thirteen, which says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Another type of laziness is the person who just wants sleep, rest, and comfort. And this hurts me a little bit, right? This is also another one of those that I tried to dodge a lot of these things, uh, but personally, the Lord was like hammering me all week with all these things. Solomon says that the lazy sleeper lacks sense and will experience poverty and all that comes with it. We have this erroneous idea that poverty is just a lack of money. Poverty is more than that. Poverty is about a lack of resources. Poverty is about a lack of opportunities. Poverty can be a lack of experiences and education, as well as being trapped in these endless cycles of poverty. So change the way you think when you think about poverty as not having enough money. Poverty um, enslaves families and systems are plagued with uh, poverty. But it stems, according to Proverbs, from a lack or a love of sleep. And then here's the verse I was trying to find earlier, Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man gets precious wealth. This type of lazy starts, works hard, but will not finish or see something through to completion. It includes the procrastinator and the one with priorities that are out of whack. Well, let's, uh, let's conclude uh, this message this way. Um, laziness is a character quality that should be repented of, corrected, and replaced. Jesus redeems our work lives and intends for us to labor as though we were working for and serving Him. And so I've included in your um, handout uh, this, this article called Feeling God's Pleasure. How many of you are familiar with the story of Eric Liddell? Eric Liddell, 19 Chariots of Fire. If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fiver, Fire, Fiver, Fire. Chariots of Fire, an excellent movie from the 80s. Um, and, uh, and in Chariots of Fire, it, it has two world-class Olympic runners. Um, Eric Liddell, and I think the other guy's name was Harold Abrams, maybe, or something like that. Um, Eric Liddell was born in uh, China. His parents were missionaries to China. Very strong believer and also very fast. He never lost a 100-meter dash um, uh, up until he got to the Olympics in Paris uh, in 1924. But he had such conviction uh, about running and also about his faith in Jesus that he refused to run his event because the heats were held on Sunday and that was the Lord's Day. And so he, to the Prince of Wales and uh, his country, put a lot of pressure on him, the team, the coaches, everybody. And he just refused to. 
And in the end, he switched with another guy who ran his heat on Sunday in the 100-meter dash, and he took his event in the 400, which was not his strong area at all. As a matter of fact, it was his weakest event. But he raced in the 400 and set a world record as a result of that. This dedicated believer... It never said this, but in the movie, the line goes like this. I think God created me for a purpose. He created me for a reason to to go to China and to be a missionary and to proclaim the gospel. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That statement has stuck with so many people and inspired so many people that, that what he did in his athletic endeavors... He did it in such a way that he felt God smile on him. So I want to ask you, if you could, as homework, to complete that sentence. When I blank, I feel God's pleasure in applying it to your work life. And there's some examples uh, that Mandy Pollock has included in her article. When I'm photographing, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm chasing a deadline... When I'm curled up on a couch reading to my toddler, I feel God's pleasure. When I share my testimony, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm a homeschool mom in homeschool mom mode and we're studying magnets, I feel God's pleasure. Where do you feel God's pleasure in your work life? And in what way do you carry over Colossians 3? Whatever you do, work as heartily working for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Our work should reflect Him, and our work should also be redemptive. Gospel, gospel conversations should flow from our work life. When I think about this, and, and many times I've thought about this, and, and I want to just take a minute to acknowledge that when I think about this, I think about Charlie Godshall. We did his funeral a couple of years ago here. And, and when I think about this sermon, I think about Charlie. I think about a hundred work trucks that for a week those guys took days off and they mourned and his co-workers brought their trucks on a parade here and we have this picture of our entire lower parking lot of men who grieved his death but because Charlie brought Christ into the workplace I can't help but think of his intelligence and his industriousness and the things he created and the way he worked I think about Charlie when I think about this and and, and I just wanted to honor his memory today and, um, and uh, to honor Donna as well. And just to commit to you and to me that we should be like Charlie's when we approach our work life for the glory of God. So Father, would you make it so? Would you help us to take our work life and our career serious enough that when we clock in, it's as though we're clocking in to work for you, Lord Jesus. That when we play sports, that when we sing songs, when we write words, when we homeschool or when we educate or when we deliver packages in whatever way that you have created us to work, let us work heartily 
as working for the Lord and not for men. We praise you for that example, and we ask that you would redeem our work lives for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.